You're listening to Consider This, episode 324, for the 9th of May, 2022. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever, wherever, and whoever you are. Lug out. Here comes conservative commentary in 10 minutes or less. This is Consider This, and I'm Doug Payton, the guy whose commentary you're about to hear. If you want to get your thoughts here, write to consider this at ctpodcasting.com. Other ways to get in touch are at the website, considerthis.ctpodcasting.com. Oddly similar. That's CT as in collegiate track. How the press pushes a narrative by where they place the race of a perpetrator, the fallout from the buyout of Twitter by Elon Musk, and the fallout when one corporation steps into the realm of politics. Let's get right to it. One thing that conservatives have had a feeling about is that the media are selective on what they consider national news stories. If the perpetrator is white, it seems they get more press than a person of color. It seems that the narrative is pushing the news. Well, for now, we don't have any hard data on that, but the Washington Free Beacon has done the work to determine where in a story that the race of a murderer shows up. As an example, they note that the race of Frank James, who was responsible for the subway shootings on April 12th, was not mentioned at all in the coverage by the New York Times and Reuters. The Washington Post only mentioned James's race in relation to his condemnation of a training program for quote-unquote low-income black youths. The charge is that if he had been white, that would have never happened. Race would have been prominent from the get-go. But now there is hard evidence for that. The Free Beacon reviewed 1,100 articles published by six major newspapers over two years and found that indeed they downplay the race of non-white offenders. They have a graph in their article, linked to in the show notes, that show in which paragraph the race of the perpetrator was first mentioned. Here's what they found. Half of the articles about a white offender mentioned his race within the first 15% of the article. In articles about black offenders, by contrast, mentions come overwhelmingly toward the end of the piece. Half of the articles that mention a black offender's race do not do so until at least 60% of the way through, and more than 20% save it until the last fifth of the article. And how about where the race was omitted? Well, the Free Beacon confirmed a murderer's race from other sources and found out how often journalists skipped it. Again, the skew is startling. White offenders' race was mentioned in roughly one out of every four articles, compared with one in 17 articles about a black offender and one in 33 articles about a Hispanic offender. There are more findings in the article, including how these stats changed after the death of George Floyd, which only served to confirm the bias that conservatives have been confident existed in the media. The narrative is everything. And if a news story doesn't, as they say, confirm their priors, then it gets just the obligatory coverage, and then memory hold. Oh, that liberal media. And yes, it is liberal. Employees of a tech company 
reacted angrily when they found out their company was to be bought by an African American. <laughs> yeah, that's another way of reading the actual headline of a link in the show notes. Twitter employees go absolutely insane after Elon Musk buys company. Yep, he did it. And it turns out that those employees are not all that hip on allowing speech that they disagree with. There would still be monitoring of content so that things like promoting violence or pornography would still be moderated. As we have learned over the years, free speech still means there are limits, but viewpoint discrimination is not part of that. The fact that conservatives have been blocked far more than liberals or that President Donald Trump was banned for disseminating, quote, misinformation, while the government of Iran goes merrily along with their insistence that everything wrong in the Middle East is the fault of Israel. Instead, Musk wants to open up Twitter. For starters, he wants to make the algorithm that removes tweets open source so anyone can see how it works. Sounds like that would make it easier to game the system, but at least people would know why their tweet was removed. He also wants to do away with banning someone, thinking that a timeout works better. He's got the idea we've all heard about, that the antidote for bad speech is more good speech, not censoring. Transparency and free speech. This is what the left are losing their cookies over. Stephen Green, writing at the Instant Pundit blog, observed, quote, I don't know if Musk can save Twitter or even whether the platform is worth saving, but he certainly annoyed all the right people. Close quote. Indeed, and he has unmasked them at the same time. Speaking of unmasking, it looks like that's been done to the Disney Corporation. On March 11th, Disney CEO Bob Chapek decided to go specifically political by saying that his corporation would work to combat laws like the Parental Rights in Education Act that might be introduced in other states. The corporation also vowed to fight the Texas law that prohibits transgender surgeries on minors. Now, what's interesting is that only 27% of Americans agree that discussion of sexuality should be legal in kindergarten through third grade classes. It seems that the board of Disney got pushed into their position by a loud minority of their employees. Yes, yes, a corporation can take whatever position it wants, even political ones. But then the political bodies of the state are allowed to take whatever positions they want which they did. Florida revoked the self-governing status that Disney World has enjoyed for over half a century. That may no longer be needed now since the purpose of getting tourism to Orlando has long since been realized. But there are more issues for Disney. A letter from Reed Rubenstein, former Deputy Attorney General in the Trump administration, sent on behalf of the shareholders, demanded a corporate investigation into this foray into politics, including asking why they support lessons on sexuality for five-year-olds and how any of this enhances the corporation's reputation. He asks how this will appeal to its core U.S. and foreign customers, many of whom are parents, and I would add, whose foreign customers live in countries that jail homosexuals. In an anonymous open letter, Disney employees said that they've had to, quote, 
Watch quietly as our beliefs come under attack from our own employer, close quote. And that Disney has, quote, fostered an environment of fear that any employee who does not toe the line will be exposed and dismissed, close quote. Wording like this often heralds lawsuits. And for shareholders who are expecting that Disney is shirking its duty to not harm the corporation's value, lawsuits against the officers could also be warming up in the wings. As of the writing of the article, whose link is in the show notes, Disney has shed 10% of its value since it got this political. Those are the facts. What's my commentary? Well, the phrase is not original to me, but it certainly fits. Go woke, go broke. I had all these stories all written up, and then the bombshell hit with a leak of the draft majority opinion that might have, and now seems like it actually will, overturn Roe v. Wade. Stay tuned next time for that. So have you got an idea for a story I should consider? Send them to me at considerthis at ctpodcasting.com. I'd love to hear from you. And as I said, there are many more ways to get in touch at the website, considerthis.ctpodcasting.com, but that's not all. There's also a transcript as well as links to everything I referred to for this episode. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed. That's the best way to consider this. <laughs>